Welcome inside the Legends Lounge, where baseball VIPs are hanging out and talking about their life in the game. All right, Alana, total champ coming up here in Mike Timlin, who, of course, was a great pitcher and had a lot of longevity, stuck around the game for a long time, but also... Hey, let's be real. Maybe I bring it up. Maybe I don't. Takes a little luck, too, to be around some very fortunate situations where you can be part of a winning ball club. So it makes you smile a little more afterward. He, yeah, he did it four times, Scott. Four-time <laughs> World Series champion, which is hard to believe because some people go through their entire careers and have really great careers and never get to the promised land and certainly never get a ring. And he has four with two different teams, of course, the Blue Jays and the Red Sox. So interesting to see how the the whole Red Sox situation almost didn't happen. Yeah, he's Mr. AL East, too. He almost did not continue his career, which we'll get into with him. So very interesting chat with Mike Timlin. Still living the life coming up. Long time big leaguer coming through the lounge, an AL East dude for a lot of his career. 18 years, mostly Blue Jays, Red Sox, and then Alana, not one. I always make fun of this because they did this in Miami when it was like LeBron and Wade and Bosch. Not one, not two, not three, but four World Series rings. In a sport actually where, I mean, now there are more playoff teams entering the mix, but I mean, there are many players and legends that barely sniff the playoffs, so Mike Timlin, four-time World Series champ. How you doing? How's life? I'm great. I appreciate you, you guys having me. That's a, that's quite an entrance. <laughs> and, I mean, we didn't even have to coordinate. Alana know, and myself, we know each other for a long time, so she provided the, uh, you know, the cues. So, I mean, oh, beautiful. I, I will say, do, and do you have them with you, by the way? Like, are they, do you ever bring I, them out, I, or are they more like store them away and just bring them out when there's company? No, I, I keep them in a, you know, in one of the uh, jewelry boxes that we, we got, we received them in and uh, they stay in my, my closet. You know, if I get dressed up or do something special, I'll wear one here and there. You know, Mike, you had the two championships, of course, with the Toronto Blue Jays and then two championships with the Red Sox, AL East Powerhouse. Back in the day, AL East Powerhouse as we sit here today. What do you remember the most about those four championships? Was there a common thread? Uh, the, probably the most common thread, um, you know, when I came through the Toronto organization, we had the same team, you know, and, and guys stayed with the same team. I had the same teammates for six and a half years wow. in the, in the major leagues. <clears throat> so we had a few guys come in, move in and out, but, um, 99% of them besides the free agents that were moved in. And, and of course the occasional trade, um, we kept the same core guys. And it was once it solidified, you, it, they became way more of a family than, you know, your teammates. And, you know, of course, you're spending so much more time with the guys yeah. than you are your family. Um, that's just, you know, how it worked. But, you know, even, you know, going from Toronto and the, and the you know, we, we didn't win in 91. We went to the playoffs in 91. We lost. But um, you with 92, 93, you know, back to back and then going into Boston, in 03, we had a lot of the same core guys for so long where you became familiar. And if you're familiar with someone, you tend to, you know, I, I, 
this is how I think, you tend to work harder and, and fight a little bit more in, in your own job to make them better also. So it's way yeah. more of a family atmosphere. No question. Yeah, I like the continuity there. Do, by the way, I, I was thinking about this. So you know how teams will do, hey, it's 10-year anniversary, 2030 of, of World Series mm-hmm. and all of that. So did you do that? for the 92 team and do they do back-to-back years where they bring they bring the whole crew back and have a day because now we're at 2023 off of 93 right i we did we did one last year and i've been talking to some people in toronto i don't know if we're going to do back-to-back <laughs> um i assume what we did will do you know another because i mean you know they want to have you know a championship there badly yeah. And they have a, a, a great team, great young team. You know, the core that they have there could be phenomenal for years. Yeah. But uh, they, I guess they need to feed that somehow. And hopefully, you know, if we do another celebration this summer, you know, maybe that'll, that'll spark them to get there. You know, you mentioned the continuity, Mike. It is so difficult to repeat as champions. I mean, it is so difficult. You guys were no able question. to do it, of course, in 92 and 93. Do you think the reason it is so difficult now is because of the lack of continuity of that core group? Why do you think it's so hard to repeat? I don't know if it's the lack of continuity because, I mean, you know, if you look at the New York Yankees, you know, they keep guys and they keep a solid core of guys uh, many years together and some of them are young and then some of them are old so you do have a little bit of a gap in between you know some of the teammates but uh you know and they've had success for years and years and years I mean decades um but I don't, I don't know I think it's more of the competitive balance um you know the you know the uh, the parity that the mm-hmm. owners have tried to bring in and make you know have another team I mean we as fans you know, now that we sit back and watch the game, you don't want to see the same team, you know, win over right. and over and over again. Everybody, you know, you see the guy, like I was watching, you know, the, the Chiefs. And I the was going to say, night. the Chiefs, I'm so chiefed out. <laughs> I'm so chiefed out. <laughs> I, well, you know, I, in, yeah, living here in Denver, Denver of course yeah. you are. But, um, you know, I wanted to see the Bengals win because you haven't seen the Bengals win since Boomer Esiason, who's sitting right. behind the desk right. on Sunday, you know, right. has, has gone there. And you you want to see new blood. You want to see new things happen and, and watch the rookies and watch even the veterans that are rookies in, you know, their Super Bowl or the World Series. You want to see the wide-eyed look. You want to see them, you know, the wonder of of, of the game that you can actually, when you walk into those games, I mean, you can literally feel the popcorn popping that's, you know, 100 yards away from you. You can smell it. And it's the the electricity in the air in, in those games in the World Series, and I'm sure the Super Bowl is the same way, is, I mean, it makes your hair stand up. I mean, it's, it's crazy. You, you feel everything from everybody. It's awesome. Well, yeah. Philadelphia had that, you know. I mean, you go to Houston versus Philadelphia um, this past year. It's nothing against Houston. Houston's just been there a ton. Yeah. So obviously it's like right. the park's still full. They're going nuts. They want to win the World Series. I'm talking about like even just the atmosphere, the fan base and all that. But you go to Philly and you were like, whoa, <laughs> <laughs> this place desperately wanted to be in this spot again. Fans would not sit. The, the, the way that the cheering went on too, it's like 
strike one. And it's, and if you weren't right, like, let's say you were at concessions during that time, like, Did someone hit a homer. No, that was strike one from our, our pitcher. Um, <laughs> oh, okay. You know, to have that many people so excited about the game, you know, that is what you're looking for. I mean, you know, and, and I played through Philly and I didn't have great success there. Um, you know, and I, I was traded for a hall of famer, by the way, Scott Rowland. Oh, and, there you right, go. Congrats, right. <laughs> mindless, mindless, you know, throw that in there. But, um, you know, they didn't, you know, those fans, they're rabid. I mean, mm-hmm. the Philly fans are, are that way. And I know the Eagles fans are that way too. And I've talked to a few basketball players and when they go, you know, you go play the 76ers. I mean, you don't want to mess with the fans. I mean, they're, they're nasty and, you know, they <laughs> love, they love their, they love their, their teams. I mean, and they are, it's Philly's not like New York. It's not a white collar ish type place. It's like Boston. It's more of a blue collar town and those people work hard and they, and they spend their money the way they want to spend their money. And they're going to get all they can out of, out of their fandom, so to speak. We were talking today on High Heat with uh, Chris Russo. It's obviously his show, and I contribute uh, on that show. We were talking about 1980 when the Phillies and the Royals played, and he was comparing, of course, just those fan bases and Mike Schmidt and George Brett and talking about third baseman and those types of things and, you know, just how how there's so many different parallels. So take me back to 1980. You're born in 66. How does a kid from Midland, Texas, get to the big leagues? Who'd you grow up liking? how did, how did you get to be a four-time World Series champion and 18-year big league veteran for Midland, Texas? When I think of Midland, I think of Midland, Odessa. I lived in Wichita Falls, Texas, and I covered Midland, Odessa and, you know, high school football. Tell me how a kid from Midland gets to the bigs. Well, I'll tell you what, um, you know, out in Midland, I mean, you you said it yourself, it's, it's a football town. Everything's football out there. Um, we grew up, and you guys have read the – read the uh the book i'm sure and seen all the the movies and you know the tv series friday night lights sure um that was when i was going to high school i mean that was it was in prime time um when my sisters who you know are three or four years ahead of me uh odessa permian was the powerhouse Yep. yep and we would watch um companies in odessa and midland hire people you know and they would move in, and the next thing you know, their kids are playing for Odessa Permian, and I mean they're monsters. I mean they're they're it's I mean they just put together a program, right? And it was so geared, you know, not so much of our small five A area, but we wanted a team out of our area to be able to play against Plano and Wichita Falls, and you know uh, Amarillo Tascosa. And, you know, all the the Houston uh, football teams when we competed for the state. And then when Odessa Permian just started putting their program together, it just never stopped. It was crazy. Um, But in that, you know, I I say all that because, you know, baseball, I I always tell people I came from Texas and they're like, oh, you know, Texas has great, great baseball, great football, great basketball. I'm like, yeah, but it's it's a third world sport. (laughs) <laughs> in, in where I grew up. I mean, yeah. it's, it's football and then basketball. And then everybody goes, Oh, you just play, you play baseball in the summer just because you don't want to, they don't have anything to do. Yeah. You want to stay in shape and for football. <laughs> exactly. You want to be able to, 
get back in football shape. But, you know, I had the propensity just to, to play. I mean, I was, when I was 10, I could play with 12 and 13 year olds. It was, it was easy for me. I mean, God just gave me the, the ability to play. And, uh, you know, I, I loved it. I would lay on the floor um, Saturday afternoon when we had three or four channels counting PBS. And, um, you know, I'd watch the, uh, the baseball game on Saturday afternoon. And I, I watched, you know, guys like Kent Ticaldi, you know, I watched Mike Schmidt. I watched Nolan Ryan, you know, Bob Horner. I, I watched Dale Murphy, mm-hmm. you know, these guys, Ryan Sandberg. I mean, you know, I, I watched all these guys on Saturday and my mom who's gone, uh, she's been gone 21 years now, but I told her one day laying on the living room floor, watching the baseball game. And she was sitting in the chair behind me reading the paper or whatever she was doing. I turned over and I looked at her and I said, one of these days, that's what I want to do. And, you know, it, it just came about. I mean, I don't know. I don't know why I was able to play. I never put a lot of pressure on myself playing the game. I, uh, I enjoyed it way too much. It was, it was a game to me and, you know, it was a way to, to get away from the world. I mean, a lot of people go to the movies or they read books or whatever to get out of, you know, what they're doing in the world. But I just, I really enjoyed being out on the baseball field, uh, pitching, catching. I played first base. I played center field, you know, mm-hmm. not the most prolific hitter by any means, obviously because I was a pitcher, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it, uh, it took me places where, you know, I never thought I would go. I got to go down and, and play in Venezuela and, you know, in winter ball, you know, played all around the country, played in Japan, you know, it's, it's been an amazing thing. Um, I think because I enjoyed the game so much, uh, you know, I, I just, I just played it and I loved, you know, being in the bullpen when I was, a, when I was a young man and listening to the guys and how they got ready and what they had to do and, you know, mentally, you know, kind of work through the game a little bit. And then I wanted to be able to do that when I was an older veteran and pass the the game on. And I played with a, a guy, Manny Del Carmen. We were in the, we we're in the bullpen in Boston. And he looks at me and he goes, you know, we're out there on the, on the, the fence, you know, just kind of looking over right field. And he walks up and he goes, he goes, how long have you been playing? I said, well, I don't know. I said, this is probably 13 years. He goes, he goes, you're playing 13 years. I'm like, yeah. I said, you know, it's, it's just fun. I love it. And I go, well, you know, I know this is your first year. I said, how long do you want to play? And he said, I don't know, maybe five or six years, you know, get some, make some money and then go do something else. And I'm like, dude, what you need to do is, put the uniform on until they rip it off you mm-hmm. or tell you they don't, they won't give it to you. Mm-hmm. I mean, but it's, it's hard to understand when you first get in the big leagues to think that way. I mean, you, you become that eventually. And, you know, teaching these guys when I was in Boston for so long, how to get ready, what to do mentally, how to get through. I mean, you know, and in the bullpen, we just don't talk about baseball. I mean, we talk <laughs> about life. We're raising yeah. kids. We're talking about, you know, how to deal with your wife you know, how to, you know, if you're not married, how to deal with your girlfriend, if you are married, how to deal with your girlfriend and your wife. I don't know. You know, some people, you know, they do, they do that. I mean, you know, we're, we're talking about athletes here, but you know, it's, uh, you know, 
it was, it's been a blessing the whole, the whole way. I mean, I, I can't, I can't say, you know, why I was so blessed with 18 years, uh, four world championships, you know, God had a reason for it, but you know, I do what I do. I try to, I try to pass on, you know, baseball, um, as much as I can. I'm working with a young man right now. You know, I just started last week with him. He's a left-handed pitcher. He's going to be going to Cherry Creek high school. Oh yeah. And uh, I know, I know you know where that is, but, uh, um, you know, he's, and he's 14, he throws hard. He's got a good, you know, good change up and we'll see where he can go. And I talked to his pitching coach who was a guy, you know, he doesn't coach there now, but he did, uh, Dave Veers. And he was a big leaguer for a long time. And he, uh, he said, yeah, this kid's going to be great. So we're, we're, we're definitely, I'm, I'm renting the sunshine. How about that? See, we got sunshine here. Um, but you know, we, we try to work and, and you try to pass the game on and, you know, you, you were blessed to play it. Um, so you try to try to bless everybody else with, you know, just simple knowledge, honestly. And it's funny that you say that he said that he just, he thought he wanted to play maybe five or six years. There's not anybody really that I've heard that says that they want to play as long as they possibly can. I mean, that's all you guys have ever known. You played in this sport for 18 years at the highest level. And then when you're done, it's like, I feel most of you guys don't know what to do with yourself. There's always this like That's massive void that only baseball can fill. What did you fill yours with? Um, after I was finished, I coached in high school for nine years. Um, we moved out here to Denver area um, after we retired. And um, we were living in Florida for the whole time we were playing because we had spring training down there. Uh, my wife's mom and dad lived down there. It was easy to just keep a house, fly in and out. You know, if we're on the East coast, it's, it's easy. Um, for tax purposes also, <laughs> but, <Barry>. um, yeah, <laughs> Florida <laughs> let's, and Texas. let's just, let's just be real. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, and we moved out here and, you know, my, my kids got into uh, a private Christian high school that, uh, we thought was, was perfect. And, you know, once they started going, I started, you know, just kind of showing up because my son liked to play baseball a little bit. And the coach is like, well, if you want to come out and help out. So I did, you know, for the first year. And then next year, he's like, why don't you just be the pitching coach? And I did that for nine years while my son went to school there. And then my daughter came up and she went to school there and played volleyball. So, hmm. you know, it was nice to, to be able to um, touch so many kids' lives and teach them, you know, the basics of Christianity along with baseball and humanity. And we developed what we, we thought was a great program. We won three state championships while we were there. We were in many, many playoffs. And um, I just went to go see my son last weekend um, down in Arizona. He's living down there and ran into one of the kids that we coached down there. He's a police officer in the Phoenix, uh, Phoenix department. And uh, we got to see him. So it was nice. It was awesome. Yeah. Is this Valor Christian? Valor Christian. Yes. All right. All right. Yeah. I have a question going back to um, when you told your mom, hey, I want to do that. Play in the bigs. Obviously, millions of kids do that. You know, I, I did that. <laughs> I was better at basketball. So I said that, you know, when I, I remember I, I when I tell my own story, I'm like, age five, going to be in the NBA. <laughs> it, 
And and my parents were like, cool, go for it, whatever. But you would tell that I remember distinctly, Mike, telling that to others, you know, it's other kids, it's even other, you know, your your sister's friends or your family friends, whatever, when they would, you know, get give you the classic question and they would laugh. And for a few years, you don't really know why they're laughing. And then you pick <laughs> up on things and go, maybe my chances are slim. And then you start playing in tournaments and you're like, I'm good, but I'm not, the, I'm not dunking at age 10 or 11, like a couple it's like a few of the other guys. Yeah. So for you, what was her reaction? And, you know, for baseball, I'm always curious when someone makes that decision so early on, like the, the people that influence them positively or negatively can really affect how you get to where you did. Uh, you know, I think her, her reaction was, you know, one of kind of very blase. I mean, she just kind of took it and went, Oh, okay, great. You know, it was one of those. And I was like, well, okay. You know, so I just, I was just telling her, you know, one of my wishes, that's great. And then, you know, from then on, you know, I was always, I was always on the baseball field, you know, every, every chance we got with my buddies, um, we played football, but we didn't really take it seriously. And, you know, we, we would go out, we played, you know, pick up basketball and we were okay at that, but you know, it was baseball and what we, we would do, you know, like, and we've all seen Sandlot, you know, and you, you're missing the one player or, you know, two or three players. So you have one pitcher, one hitter and two or three guys in the outfield, you know, and right field's always closed. So if you hit it to right field, you know, it's either a strike or you're out or you get so many outs while you're hitting, you know, and all we would do is go out and take batting practice and try to hit the ball out of the yard all the time. So that's, that's how we grew up. But um, it's funny you say, you know, you, you told so many people, um, well, I'm going to play in the NBA or I'm going to be a basketball player. And they're like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's got good job. You know, <laughs> you're like, oh. I was dating a girl in college and her dad was, you know, uh, the president of the first national bank. So, um, you know, during the summer, she was working at the country club. I was living with my, my aunt and uncle at the time down in, in Georgetown, Texas. And, you know, I was working, I was literally working at a concrete factory, you know, in all day long. And I would come, you know, we play golf a little bit here and there. She was a lifeguard. So I got to talking to her. And then, you know, next thing you know, we started dating. Well, school came back around. She was going to Texas Tech. And she was back down for Christmas break. And I stayed. My mom came down to Central Texas out of West Texas. And I went over to meet her parents and, you know, he pulled the, the classic, you know, dad routine, <laughs> let's go in the den and, you know, let's talk. And I was like, okay, you know, I'm just like, whatever. So we literally sat down behind a desk and I was sitting in the, in the chair across from him. He goes, he goes, Mike, what do you, what do you want to do with your, your life? What, 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 you know, what are your aspirations? And I looked him dead in the eye. I looked at him. I said, Mr. Hume, I said, I'm going to play major league baseball. And with, I, he, I could still see his face. He's like, he's looking at me like, are you an idiot? And I'm like, you know, I was, I get told the truth. You know, I was always told to tell the truth. I did. He could not swallow it. He's like, you know, there, there's no way there's, you know, it's not going to happen. You know, you need to have better aspirations. You, what are you studying in school? I'm like, yeah, hey, I'm, a plan. PE. I'm a PE major, you know, <laughs> he, he goes, okay. He goes, you want to be a teacher? I'm like, no, 
I want to play in the major leagues. And I said, that's what I'm going to do. And, you know, obviously it came to fruition and, you know, come to find out I leave school, I go to play the minor leagues. You know, I talked to my aunt years, years go by. And I was thinking about, you know, the girl that I dated when we went back and I said, whatever happened to, you know, Jim Hume, she's like, Oh, the president of the bank. Oh, he got thrown in prison because he was, (laughs) yeah, he was, you know, uh, taking money out of the bank. I was like, I, I forget the whatever term it, what they what they call it, but I was just like embezzlement. Yeah, embezzlement. Yes, ma'am. That's it. I, I was not expecting that answer. That took a turn. Yeah, it' crazy, isn't it? I was just like, uh huh. Now, huh. <laughs> so I have that in my pocket. Yeah. So look at who turned out all right, and look at who didn't. How about yeah, that? Yeah. Look, was I was telling the truth? Were you? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> Your reason, your game plan was much better than his. Oh, I'll tell absolutely. You. Yeah, just say. stay true to me. You know, it's oh funny. You, you, you said mom had a blase answer to your aspirations of playing Major League Baseball. Was it mom or dad that took you to every practice, every every event, every necessity to get you to that place? Tell me a little bit more about the upbringing. You had mentioned some older sisters. What was the family life like? Um, well, my dad took off before I was born. Okay. So he was not there. I, I've, okay. I've, I've seen him in my life three times. Okay. I can uh, once when I was, that. once when I was 10, um, the first time I ever met him, he was a truck driver and he was coming back through uh, Midland and called my mom and we went out to the truck stop and met him. That was the first time. Wow. The second time was, uh, when I was in college and I was working on a summertime job at the concrete factory and he called my sister and said, I'm coming through town. And she called me and she goes, Oh, you got to come over here. I want you to be at the house when this guy gets here. And I didn't even really recognize the guy, hmm. but, uh, and then the third time I, it was in Arlington, Texas when I was playing against the Rangers. Um, I was in the locker room and one of the the locker room guys comes in and goes, oh, dude, your dad's outside. Well, it was always a running joke in college that our college coach, we told them all our other guys, they're like, oh, that's your dad. You know, you, you know, <laughs> Coach Mallon's your dad. And I was like, oh, we're in Texas. I was like, oh, it's Coach Mallon. So I'm going to go out. I oh. literally go out and my father was there. And I was just oh. like, oh. So he had his stepsons or my stepbrothers there and they wanted to meet me. And I was cordial and. You know, I spent a few few minutes here and there, but otherwise it was just like, mm, yeah. Yeah. All so, right. So you, so you call him this guy. So mom is the hero in your life, I'm assuming. Yes. Okay. Yeah, Tell me mom, more about her. She worked hard. She worked at Exxon because uh, we were out in West Texas. So she worked for a uh, the oil company. And, um, you know, she didn't get off work until five o'clock. So, you know, sometimes we had uh, Little League practice started, you know, at five o'clock. So I would get home, I would eat a little bit, I would get ready and I would take my bike and it was only a mile or a mile and a half to the baseball field. And I would, you know, ride my bike and then she would come pick me up at the end. So I wouldn't have to ride home, but, um, she took me everywhere. Um, you know, she, my closest sister I have was four years older than, than I was. So I have three older sisters. Um, one lives down in Austin. Um, Austin, Texas. One lives 
in South Austin, Texas. And then one lives up in Maine now. Mm. And that's the, the one that was, you know, only four years older than I am. And then, uh, it was just my mom and I for, you know, but basically my high school years. So it was, you know, you know, life was not easy. Mm-hmm. We struggled. I mean, you know, it's West Texas. I mean, you're not making a lot of money, you know, working for an oil company that doesn't pay their employees a lot, you know, and she was, she was doing the file room. So she, she knew every file in there. I mean, she had thousands and thousands and someone could walk in and say, you know, give her a number and which amazed me, you know, cause she was, she had a high school education, hmm. but she could remember all the numbers where they are, how many, you know, what's pumping out of them, how long they've been in the ground, you know, all the stats on every file. It was absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, she was, she was the one. So then coming full circle, when you did make it to the bigs, what was that like that exchange with her? Um, she was, she was very proud of it. Um, you know, almost to the point where you're like, don't tell anybody I do what I do. <laughs> so she was, she was the kind of person that um, could talk, you know, to the paint on the wall. She never met a person that she could not have a conversation with. She was very friendly, very open, you know, very loving. Um, You know, she was just, she was an amazing lady. Uh, You know, when when I finally got there, we were playing in the 92 World Series. And um, she came to the field early, you know, as I told her to, because I wanted her to see this guy. And one of the guys that was playing on the Atlanta Braves was Mike Stanton. Mm-hmm. and left-handed pitcher and we went to high school together you know you know he was from midland texas so we're on the same field playing in the world series against each other you know from midland texas in toronto you know when we were doing that so we took pictures and you know i called you know i got to see his mom and dad he came over to see my mom you know it was, it was a it was a pretty big deal so kind of cool that way that's you crazy because had- Sorry, Alana, I was just thinking, oh. I mean, there are Mike Stanton vibes from Mike Timlin. I know Mike well. I worked with him quite a bit um, on Sirius yeah. in the past, especially and on a few other things. So the the demeanor and the um, the tone, like it, there, there are a lot of similarities there. It makes even more sense. I, I swear if like if you were like, hey, give me a personality comp or a conversation <laughs> comp, Mike would be towards the top of the list. Makes sense. You're coming from the same area. <laughs> Yeah, same same hometown. Yeah, it's crazy. Wow. But I mean, do you ever and think you, about if that? you would have seen us in high school, we couldn't throw we couldn't throw the ball inside the batting cage. I mean, we could throw it hard, but we had no <laughs> idea where the hell the thing was going. <laughs> yeah, but how does somebody that can't throw it or you know do have any sort of location or command? How does a guy like that completely fly past fly past AAA? Are you talking about me? Yeah. Um, yeah, but I learned I actually learned control. I mean, you know, once once they get you into the minor leagues, you know, you could throw hard and there's you know, there's kids all over that we'll probably never, ever see that throw a thousand miles an hour. Yeah. Yeah. But for some reason, they can't put it together. Um, usually one pitching coach or one pitching coach at one level will work with his mechanics and then he'll move up maybe to higher a ball and he'll talk to the other pitching coach. And he's working on his headspace. So yeah. you put those two things together at the right time and you have a major league baseball player. I mean, it's just, it's just, you have the talent as a 19 or 20 year old to do what they do, but 
we all know the whole thing that sets apart guys in the big leagues from guys in the minor leagues is consistency. And that's, that's the separation guys can do it on a day in day out basis under terrible circumstances, you know, whatever pressure is going on in the game or, you know, off the field or on the field or, you know, whatever is going on in your head, you're able to turn it off. Some guys in the minor leagues can't do that. They just can't put those things together. So that's what keeps them out. I don't think people appreciate the, uh, the path, how difficult this really is. It's like along the lines of what you and Scott were saying, Scott thought he was going to be in the NBA. You know, you, you said you were going to be in the big leagues and you actually achieved that. But there's so many times along the way that you get kicked in the teeth. You know, obviously we, we say all the time that hall of famers fail 70% of the time. Was there ever a moment that you're like, you know what, this isn't for me or I can't do this anymore. <laughs> yes, there were, there were a couple of times, um, you know, in minor leagues, you get so frustrated where guys are getting called up and you can't figure out why, or, um, you know, I was, it went, uh, one spring training. I think this was, um, 1990. And that was, they put me on the AAA team. So I worked out with all the guys in AAA. And I knew all the guys because I was coming up in the minor leagues with them. So they, you know, they separate guys. So I, I, the whole spring training, I was with the, the AAA team. And uh, not that I was going to be in AAA, but um, as the teams came out and, you know, things start shaking out and everything always rolls downhill. Um, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> and, uh, they, uh, they call me in the office and they said, you know, the, the list comes out, you know, and you, you see what team you are, you know, this is like the last week of, of spring training minor leagues. So everybody runs up to the board and see where they're at. You know, it's that, that high school thing where you go, Oh, you got an A, you got to be okay. And I looked at the AAA roster and I wasn't on it. And I was like, Oh man. And so I go to the double A roster. I'm like, okay, Nope. And I was like, go to the single A roster, the high single A roster, which is Dunedin for Toronto. Mm -hmm. And I'm on that one and I'm pissed and I am so mad. So we got, we go to lunch, you know, everybody sits down at the tables. We have lunch and all that stuff in the afternoon. You have to go with your new teams. Well, I'm back down in a ball with some guys. And I'm just like, and my pitching coach was Bill Mamboquette. And, uh, you know, I, I had known him for, he was my pitching coach and a year before down in the, the South Atlantic league, Myrtle beach. And we took a long walk around the outfield and he's explaining to me, it doesn't matter where you are in the organization. You're only one step away from the big leagues, which I thought was total BS. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, mm, yeah, I'm, I'm done. You know, I don't, this is not for me. <laughs> and you know, he, he got me to hang on obviously. So I did what I did. The second time was when I was traded to Philadelphia. And, you know, it was just so frustrating because I was in St. Louis and I was having a pretty good year. And I was traded from first to last. And, you know, it was just like, it was frustrating. I mean, I, I got to, Got to play with Dan Plezak again. Oh, Danny. We, we had played together in <laughs> Toronto. And, I mean, I loved the guy to death. Yeah. And we he made it so much fun 
to play there, you know, sitting in the bullpen, you know, because we're always cracking up doing something stupid. And, uh, you know, I, I just I just got to the point and I told my wife, I said, when this year is over, um, I don't think I'm going to I'm done. I think I'm done. And that was that was 10 years in the big leagues. Wow. Fully and, vested. You know, I had full, fully vested. I was OK. You know, I was like, you know. And she she looked at me, you know, we finished that year and she she couldn't live with me there because, you know, she, we already had two kids and we're like, we'll just take them home. So she went home for the, the rest of the season, came up a couple of times. Uh, we had a friend of ours that lived over in uh, Cherry Hills and uh, I stayed with them, him and his wife. And, uh, you know, I, I told her at the end of the year, I said, I'm, I'm done. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm done with this. So we, we sat down one night and she looks at me and she goes, you know, maybe we should just, you know, let's just pray about it. Let's, you know, see what God wants you to do. You know, let's pray about it. So we go through after a while in the off season and I was just like, you know, I was playing golf and doing charity golf tournaments and, you know, doing what I do. And, you know, came time to start working out. And obviously I start working out again. You know? <laughs> just, it's just a habit. You know, habit. you started doing it. And she's like, well, what are you going to do? And I said, well, I guess I'll, you know, call some people and see if I can get a job. So I wanted to go home. So I called the Rangers and I called Houston both. And both of them said, well, we love what you do or how you do it, but we're trying to fill these spots or this spot. And I'm like, okay, fine. And I was like, whatever. And we went to church that next Sunday and I literally got down. I was just like, God, whatever you want me to do. I said, I can be done. I can, you know, just let it all go. And Monday, Monday, Theo Epstein called me and he said, you know, we really like to have you in our bullpen, you know, be a one year deal, you know, see what happens. He goes, you won't be the closer. He goes, we won't have a closer. We're going to do by committee, you know, and then, you know, there we go. Next six years. I was, yeah. Six years and two more rings. Two more rings. Yeah. And a lot of great friends who go along with it. Yeah, that's, that's, that's awesome. That is crazy. Yeah. That people have that. I mean, and many do have stories like that, right? Especially in baseball, I think Mm -hmm. because there's so much failure, right? Like probably less of those stories with stars in in basketball that play for a long time, but baseball, yeah, that can be frustrating and turn around real fast. That is wild though. I mean, it's not just like, Oh yeah, I'll, I'll go an extra year or two i mean you had a whole I'll just give it i'll just give it a, shot. a career <laughs> i'll just try yeah <laughs> gosh yeah. you would have missed out on on a lot of uh a lot of fun you know yeah for that I second half of the career because you had some good characters that you played with as well you know some, <laughs> probably yeah. some fun times we, fun real a lot of fun times a lot of fun times. yeah 5082 batters faced who was the toughest uh you know, I've, I've been asked this before. Uh, my wife's coming home, so my dog's kind of going nuts right oh, now. Oh, that's fine. I'm um, huge into dogs. That's fine. <laughs> they need to be on camera, actually. <laughs> yeah, yes. they should be. He's a character. Um, you know, Bernie Williams gave me uh, a tough time. You know, good hitter. You know, he could hit, you know, a lot of stuff. Um, I think one of the hardest guys I had uh, to get out was Frank Catalanato. And, you know, uh, I see your face and you're like, hmm, I see, you, you know, like, everybody's like, why, you know, <laughs> yeah. and I mean, there's a lot of people, you know, and, and Frank was, a, he was a good player. I mean, solid infielder. I mean, he could, 
the guy could hit. It wasn't a power hitter by any means, but he was a contact guy. Yeah. And sometimes I, it was almost like, you know, and I talked to him, uh, let's see, it was probably five years ago at a golf tournament uh, in Toronto. And he's like, I go, dude, you hit me like I was setting the ball on a freaking tee for you. He's like, you've got to be kidding me. He goes, I couldn't hit anything you were throwing. I'm like, you got to go back and look at the stats, bro. I mean, <laughs> you're like, we have two very different memories. You didn't remember. Yeah, <laughs> way, way too different. You know, so I guess it's all your point of view, but I, I couldn't hardly get the guy out. It was crazy. I mean, I've made great pitches and I'd jam the crap out of him. And he'd flip the ball over the shortstop or the second baseman's head for a base hit. And I'm just like, really? You know, that that's just how it works. But yeah, that's he was probably though. one of the toughest. Don Mattingly Most was hitters- tough. Don Mattingly was tough on a lot of people. Yeah, he 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 was a tough hitter. Um, uh, Kirby Puckett, no, 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 no. I'm sorry. Um, Tony Gwynn, Mm. tough hitter. So patient. Very patient. Never tried to do any more than what you gave him. You know, so almost the best thing you could do. And I I I did this to Kirby Puckett one time, Um, but with Tony Gwynn, just throw it right down the middle because either he'd hit it right back at you. Or at one of your middle infielders, because that's all he—that's all he had to do with it. I mean, yeah. if you throw it on the inside, he would turn it and hit it to right field. You go the other way; he's in the left field. He just stand on first base and like laugh. You know? <laughs> but facing Kirby, I was—I I got up one against him one day, and I was just like, "He goes, dude. He goes, did you did you pitch on this road trip already?" And I'm like, "Yeah, you know, I, I threw a couple of days ago." He goes, "Okay, you got a day off today." I'm like, "No, no." <laughs> And I looked at him, I said, dude, if, if I face you, I said, I'm throwing the first two pitches right down the middle. And he's like, he looks at me, you know, the way Kirby does. He's like, man, shut the hell up. And I was like, <laughs> dude, I'm telling you. So literally, it was like the sixth inning. Kirby Parker comes up. Borders is catching me. He's sinker, sinker. I'm like, no, 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 four-seamer. Throw a four-seamer right down the middle. And Kirby looks at me like, you got to be kidding me. He passed it up. I'm like, okay. You're like, I Next tried pitch, to tell you. Same spot. That's just right down the middle. He hits a ground ball, the shortstop. We throw him out. He runs by me. He goes, don't ever talk to me again. <laughs> <laughs> As he goes by me on the mound. So it was funny. You psyched uh, him out. Yeah. It, yeah, exactly. Just like just like they do when they walk into the box. You're just like, oh, my God, this is Paul Molitor or Robin Yount. You're just like, oh, my gosh. But you just, you just get in your head. Hey, so I, I want to finish on my end with your location again. So Colorado Springs, you're near the MLB Players Alumni Association. Obviously, they mm-hmm. set all this up in terms of the guests and, and the pod from behind the scenes. So this wouldn't exist without them. And and this has been special to be able to do for us for a while now to just document former players and their stories and everything. And you're you're really uh, A plus with the swag during the interview as well. Trying, trying, to, trying to help the, out here. Zip up. <laughs> yeah, and it looks great. It looks great. So, yeah, just let us know about your involvement there, and um, have you been able to use it, you know, as a network with former players? Because that part of it, I think, is special. Of course, being able to link everyone, and if anyone ever needs help from someone or a phone number, or or obviously linking guys up with jobs all the time. But what's your experience been like on that front? You know, they've they've done a great job. Um, my next door neighbor used to be <clears throat> Mike Myers, the left-handed sub submarine guy. 
And uh, he started an organization. He called me before he started it and said, we're going to start doing this thing called Pitchers and Patriots. And I said, well, you know, what's the, what's the premise on it? And he said, uh, you know, we're just going to help veterans. And he was, he came up with the idea because he was walking down the fairway during uh, the COVID time, um, walking down the fairway at the country club, which he's a member. And he's talking to this guy who's a big businessman. They said, he goes, you know, he goes, we are so privileged to be able to be walking down this fairway, you know, in the sunshine and, you know, what we have in freedom. And he's like, we need to start an organization. And they came up with this idea by the time they were in the first green. So he called me and he said, you want to, you know, be part of it. And I said, dude, I'd, I'd love to, you know, I, you know, I love supporting, you know, the veterans because I mean, they're out on the front lines doing all kinds of stuff. I mean, all the time saving us here, you know, standing up for our freedom. Amen. So we, uh, we put, he put together this program where we, with the seal legacy foundation, um, wounded warriors was part of our, our benefactors. We've had another organization that I can't remember the name of it, uh, that we helped out. It's not a, a real big organization that they, <clears throat> their whole premise is to take the family not just the veteran and, you know, they take the whole family entity, take them on a vacation or a week mm. or whatever. And they all do, they all do therapy together. Mm. So it's not just the dad or the mom, it's the whole family. So everybody gets a, you know, a touch, so to speak. Um, so we helped them out a little bit last year, but we have, uh, we use the, the alumni network to get veteran players in hall of famers to come in um, and, do an appearance with with this whole dinner and auction and you know all kinds of stuff so they've done you know a fantastic job you know getting extra players in for us you know we just give them a list and they said okay well you know they'll get a contact and you know we'll pay this guy a little bit you know and he comes in it's for a charity organization most guys come in you know and just just to hang out and, and talk mm-hmm. and all these people that pay money to come in and support our cause they get a chance to do a question answer series with you know uh last year was um jim tomey was there um goose gossage who's been there the two years we've done it um you from know, the springs goose yeah is from there. absolutely so he's he's there yeah but you know they get a chance to you know get autographs take pictures you know with their heroes and then, you know, the, obviously it goes to a, uh, a worthy cause, you know, for the veterans and the SEAL legacy. So that's, that's how we've been able to use, you know, the Alumni Association. I don't, I don't, I do what I can. I do, uh, you know, an appearance here and there at some of the, uh, the baseball camps that they do, which is a great thing for kids. Um, I think, you know, and I know a lot of the veterans that I've, I've played with, um, you know, kids are losing touch with the reality of baseball. It's just a game. Go play it. Um, everybody's caught up in money and travel ball, you know, travel ball and club ball. And, you know, you got to do this and you got to do that. I'm like, you don't. I mean, there's the pyramid only goes up just so fast. And once it gets closer to the top, there's not a lot of room. So you got to realize at one point you're not going to be at the top of the pyramid. Um, so you're always, as they've said, you're always a former athlete longer than you are an athlete. So you use what you have and tell people what you got 
and how to get there and make their life better with, you know, athletics. So do that with the kids. It's great. Well, Mike, we, yeah, we appreciate the time. And it sounds like uh, post playing career has been, like you said, busy, but also very enjoyable. So (laughs) it was, uh, and getting a lot out of it in a lot of different ways. So um, absolutely, we were uh, glad to have you on. And also I'm glad uh, you stuck with the sport for another um, second half of your career. <laughs> yeah, me yeah, too. No doubt. <laughs> yeah, a lot of good I memories for it, Red I break Sox it into fans. sixes. I break it into sixes. You know, it's like <laughs> sixes in Boston, sixes yep. in Toronto, and then you know, three or four teams in between. That's all right. So. Eighteen years, six times three. Oh, you yeah. have it. I'm all good. Well, Mike, thanks for taking the time to be with us. We appreciate it. We like to let people know that you guys are human before your players, and that you know there is life after baseball, but there's a lot of commonality between a major league baseball player and just the common person that loves the sport. So thanks for being with us. And and we really, really do appreciate you. Well, I appreciate you guys have me and letting me just, you know, kind of rant and rave. (laughs) That's what this is about. It is. (laughs) I'm a big, what ifs person, Alana always, Hey, just reflect for a moment, especially if it's something good, right? Where you go, think about how close you were to completely changing your life, which, hey, I mean, still would have been okay. I mean, he still pitched in the bigs for a while, but he had such a second half of his career in terms of personal and team success that I think this happens with many players was so close to not happening. And many players at least go through one point in their lives unless you're that natural person that's just a superstar every step of the way that thinks about quitting at one point or for him just retiring or moving on to something else in life. So glad you didn't, Mike. You know, it's funny too, Scott, because I don't think it's just professional athletes. I think every single one of us think about every single decision that we've made leads us to the next place in our life. And if we would have gone left instead of right, if we would have gone to a different school, if we would have moved to a different place, had we gone into a different industry, our lives would be dramatically different. So, you know, I'm not certain if it's fate. Um, I don't know if I believe in that or not, but it is interesting how every decision um, kind of maps out the the rest of your life. And, I, and I'm glad for Timlin that it worked out that he ended up, you know, going to the Red Sox, as you said, king of the AL East. And, and what a career that he had spanning, you know, over almost two decades. Imagine how many teammates like he has a connection with. And if you played, we should have done this, but the, <laughs> you know, a few degrees of separation yeah. to get you to basically any player. I mean, he's if you start racking up double digit years and you're getting close to 20 years like you you really can get to almost any player in the game through a few points of separation you know i want to honestly do six degrees of separation with kevin bacon and me and you and see if it actually is true with the two of us if we actually in some form or fashion probably easy with baseball right yeah if we're actually uh connected to him in in six uh steps <laughs> absolutely we would be able to i think just about anyone in entertainment will be able to get a connection to, you know, uh, a Jim Edmonds from Entourage, which then ties us into all the movie world, right? Well, we've we've got true. options. Yeah. We, I'll tell you we, what, we... Doug Ellen did an amazing, amazing job with Entourage. Everybody that was anybody at the time that that show spanned was on that show. 
was incredible. It was a great, great. Agreed. It, it was, it was the A list, and then sometimes the B and C. Just everybody was on there: sports, <laughs> entertainment, well, Johnny Drama. I mean, Johnny Drama was like Z list, but yes. everybody <laughs> that was anybody was on that show. And so Jim Edmonds has a great story. If you want to go back and listen, you know, all this stuff's pretty evergreen. So it's not like going to feel dated. If you want to go back um, on Apple or Spotify or wherever you're looking at this series and, and, and listen back to the on-demand version, we got a minute for uh, this week in baseball. So let's do a little Feb 18, 2009, 11.25 AM. They give us the exact time here too. Last remaining piece of Shea Stadium, the ramp to section five, demolished that's the end of Shea Stadium Mets played there for 44 years and then they start building up City Field um, which is in the parking lot of, of Old Shea 800 mil for City Field back then to be put together and for me personally Alon I went to a lot of Shea Stadium as a kid and I'm not that guy like I don't get sentimental or miss anything I mean if it was just an incredible venue that's one thing but like City Field opens and you're like this is how a baseball stadium should be <laughs> this is more of your Camden Yards feel you know, it's funny that you say that because when you were telling me the story, the first person I thought of was you because I know that you're a huge Met fan. Um, but I have a story about this. So obviously it was demolished, as we just discussed. Shea was. Mm -hmm. And of course, uh, the nemesis for the New York Metropolitans, Chipper Jones, Larry Chipper Jones, absolutely destroyed the Mets. I interviewed him for my first stint at MLB Network. Course, Hall of Famer Chipper Jones. Yep. And now home plate of Shea Stadium is in the parking lot of City Field. And that is where we stood and had the interview and talked about all of the times he absolutely destroyed the Mets. But you have to appreciate the Met fan as you are, because it was always Larry, Larry. And then he just continued to crush them. But there is a mutual respect between Chipper Jones and the Mets fan. And of course, uh, Chipper has a son named Shea. So, yes. um, so there's a, that was an interesting story standing in the parking lot uh, of City Field talking about the old Shea Stadium. Part of history. And that's the part that I wanted to make sure I capped it off with. It's a good story. But also that Chipper went that far, like the trolling back and forth, the friendly <laughs> trolling, the appreciation chipper right back at you with a son named Shay. Yeah. That is too good. And for some younger baseball fans, sometimes who, who maybe know who Chipper Jones is, um, th th I make sure I include that story because that one. That one's funny. And that's, I mean, that's the ultimate trolling, right? That's the ultimate yeah. trolling. Like I named my son after the stadium <laughs> in which I absolutely dominated. <laughs> well, there's a lot of fans that name kids after, you know, a, a famous athlete that they really like. Right. So Chipper did the reverse for the ballpark. That is. Yeah, I named my dog Gidry. I mean, I don't know if that yep. counts, but you no, know, that definitely counts. Sort of connection. <laughs> <laughs> that absolutely counts. Yeah. And there's probably going to be a lot more. You know, Patrick's or maybe Mahomes. Mahomes. I don't know. Leave <laughs> <Mahomes. laughs> maybe for a middle name. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, lounge getting crazy. We'll see you next week. We do this every week. Bye-bye. The Legends Lounge Podcast is brought to you by Major League Alumni Marketing. Hit us with questions or comments at legendslounge at mlbpaa.com. Check out our memorabilia at mlamauthentics.com. Later, legends.
Baseball Legends Lounge is part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream your podcasts.